there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> Probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds. You're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean... Um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. This week, I am very excited to be joined by somebody who does really a tremendous job, job covering Nebraska and, and writes for a, a site that throughout this pandemic, I think, has done a tremendous job covering football in general. Um, Mitch Sherman from The Athletic is with us. Mitch, how are you? Good, Derek. Thanks for that. Appreciate it. Not easy to write about football over the last five months, but um, we've had to find find uh, unique ways to do it. Yeah, I think you guys have been um, tremendous. Frankly, like I- I've uh, had an athletic subscription. I remember the like the first kind of smaller. Um, version of it when it was just in Chicago and they were writing about the Bulls and the the Cubs mm-hmm. and I remember um, like subscribing to it then and, and just kind of seeing like Nicole Auerbach and the work that she's done throughout this pandemic has been um, tremendous and and she you know the reason that we're here to talk today is is about the Big Ten schedule you you guys were all over it when it was announced um, Wednesday afternoon we're recording this on a Thursday morning uh, Nicole was able to talk to Commissioner Kevin Warren Tuesday evening, I believe, if I have my timeline correct. And and you guys were kind of were, were all over this schedule announcement. Uh, the Big Ten is going to a 10-game schedule. They completely redid it. Um, Nebraska has added Michigan State as its as its 10th game. It's its additional game. Um, Mitch, let's just start off the top. Like, what was your first reaction when you saw what Nebraska had? What was your first reaction when you saw like what the Big Ten had done? What were kind of initial thoughts that you had to seeing this thing? actually laid out for the first time? Yeah. Um, well, my first thought was I looked at that stretch from week three through six, and I just thought, oh, man, the schedule makers were not kind to Nebraska in stacking those four games like that. And then I remembered that in the schedule that we had up until that moment, Nebraska had those same four teams at the end of the season plus Penn State. So really – uh, they did Nebraska a bit of a favor. One, by moving those games to a time that was earlier in the year, which in the case of playing Iowa and Penn State, I think is beneficial for Nebraska. I'm sorry, Iowa and Wisconsin is beneficial for Nebraska um, because, you know, you just don't want to play those teams necessarily in November. And traditionally, Nebraska is going to in 2021. It will go back to that kind of a format, October or November. But that's when those teams, they're like a – they're like snowballs that start rolling downhill in most years Mm -hmm. and you get them in the cold weather and it's just, that's their game. You know, they, they, they thrive in that kind of a situation. They're the old school big 10 teams. And it's something that Nebraska wants to get to, to having that kind of physicality and that kind of toughness. But I think no one would argue that Wisconsin and Iowa are both still ahead of Nebraska in that area. So you put those two teams on Nebraska schedule in September and it evens the playing field a bit. 
not to mention the fact that Wisconsin has to come to Lincoln this year. Um, that was something that stood out to me too. Uh, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, is that a misprint? Uh, because they were here last year. Um, and it turns out, no, uh, Wisconsin, that's one of the six games conference-wide where the venue was switched. And Nebraska's involved in another one of those six games too with, with the Purdue game getting moved to, um, to West Lafayette. So that's a good trade, one that I think Nebraska would take. Get a home game against Wisconsin for a road game against Purdue. And then I guess the other takeaway is um, Michigan State. You know, it could have been Michigan added as a, an additional crossover. And if, if that had been the case and you play in Michigan, Penn State, and Ohio State all in the same year, that's tough. That's tough for any team. Uh, so Michigan State, um, you got Mel Tucker coming to Lincoln. I think if there are Nebraska fans that get into that game, um, there people will enjoy that, remembering him from Colorado a year ago. Um, and, and uh, you know, if they're not at the game, they'll be uh, they'll be uh, voicing their opinions in front of their uh, their own TVs. So that'll be that'll be kind of fun um, if we get that far into the season. Hopefully, fingers crossed uh, to have uh, Michigan State back in Lincoln yeah. two years after that uh, memorable nine to six game. Yeah, that game was was tremendous, and then add the snow to it. It, it. Can I play devil's advocate for a second? Because I think that sure. there are like there are two schools of thought that that I tend to hear from coaches. One is that y- you want to play your games later in the season because then you you have given yourself time to round into form. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if Nebraska is going to be in that boat, especially with the lost spring practice. And then and then there's obviously the the other train of thinking um, that you kind of touched on where you want to play your bigger games early on, where you you're still healthy, you have depth. Um, you haven't been hit as much by the grind of a long big 10 season. It, which one do you tend to fall into? Because like Nebraska is only going to play two games in the month of November. And mm-hmm. so I, I think most people kind of expect that this team is going to be one of the deeper teams that Nebraska's had in a while. Um, so, so I, it sounds like you think that it's better for them that they're hitting that kind of four game stretch early on as opposed to the way that the schedule was set up previously where it was it was looking like they had maybe not a great chance but they had a shot of being six and one seven and oh by the time they hit that five game stretch and really feeling good about themselves and in this scenario you know they could be two and oh and then they have this four game stretch and you know there's a potential that it wrecks their season which which kind of school of thought do you do you tend tend to find yourself in well first of all i don't think nebraska would have been Seven and zero, or necessarily even six and one in the old setup. It looked like that was a possibility, but we've come to learn over the years that Nebraska hasn't performed like that in all of the games that it's supposed to win. Certainly. You could tell me that there was a better than fifty percent chance before July 9th when the non-conference games were canceled that Nebraska was going to win six of those first seven games. Well, then yeah, that's a much better situation than what we're facing now. But I had kind of flushed all of that thought because it's been nearly a month now since the non-conference games were scheduled. I think if we had seen the schedule on July 9th or if if the Big Ten had just yesterday announced the cancellation of non-conference games and we had gone from that full 2020 schedule to what we saw yesterday, then I would have been more in, in in the school of thought that, hey, this is not a good change for Nebraska. But once it became a conference only situation, I think um, knowing what the schedule looked like with those nine conference games that were left after July 9th and what we saw yesterday, it is, it is a good change. I mean, you could be like Purdue where your schedule now sets up Michigan, Iowa, Ohio state, 
And that's nothing like what Purdue had on the original schedule. I think Illinois is another one that just got slammed with some early season potential disasters. And you look at Nebraska and you go, okay, Rutgers and Illinois to open up. Well, that's kind of like a non-conference schedule. Um, so you still get that, that that bit of a way to ease into the season. And I know that Nebraska snuck out of Illinois with a victory a year ago, and it's not a cupcake game. But the fact is Nebraska's 9-1 and one against those two teams as a member of the Big Ten. And you know, they're 19-31 and 31 against every other team um, over the last seven years, when in those are the seven years that they've that they've played Rutgers and Illinois. So, however you look at it, it's it's um, it's favorable those first two games for sure. Um, as far as getting those teams like Iowa and Wisconsin at the end of the year, um, you know, it, it that plays I think to Iowa and Wisconsin's advantage at this stage in the development of their programs more than it does Nebraska, especially Iowa this year. We're bringing in a new quarterback. Um, you'd rather get Iowa and Spencer Petras, the new quarterback, in week four than in week 10 or on on Black Friday, which wouldn't have been the case this year under any circumstance. But, um, yeah, I think that, look, it's not like all positive or all negative. I mean, there's gray area here in in the way that the schedule breaks down. But I think it it works in Nebraska's advantage the way things played out yesterday. By the way, what a tremendous nugget to be able to just seemingly pull out of, of thin air your your record stat about Nebraska against Illinois and Rutgers and then against the rest of the Big Ten. That was that was wonderful. What do you think about that well, Rutgers game? <laughs> I'm not sure if it's going to happen. Um, for, uh, you know, I talked to Bill Moose yesterday and I asked him about I asked him his thoughts about seeing Rutgers there at the beginning of the schedule and, and you know, are you, are, are, what are you feeling about the likelihood of that game being played on September 5th? And, you know, he gave me a standard, I'm an optimist by nature quote, which when, when you start off with that, you know, that, you know, what's coming next. It's like, you know, yeah, this is, this is sketchy. Now um, Rutgers with the 28 positive COVID tests among players in the last few days um, is in no position to start preseason practice uh, this week, like Nebraska and most programs in the Big Ten. I know there are a couple others that are dealing with some uh, some shutdowns as well, but um, Rutgers is probably going to be the last Big Ten team to, to start practice this month. Um, and that's not what it needs with a first-year coach and a totally unclear situation at quarterback. One of the first things I thought when I saw that Rutgers game on the schedule on September 5th, other than the fact that, well, there's no way I'm going to cover Nebraska's opener. Um, you know, I'm not going to go there two weeks early in quarantine in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that, is that uh, you could have Noah Vedral playing the first game after transferring against his old team. And what a crazy story that would be. Now, Noah's got to go out there and win the job. But um, you mentioned Nicole Auerbach earlier, and she did our state of the program story on Rutgers as part of that, that, that big series that we do in the, in the spring and summer every year. And in talking to her about her conversations with people at Rutgers and what's going to happen with that spot, I think he's, he's, he's the leader. Like he's the, he's the, he's the favorite right now to win that job. There is not an established guy. And um, yeah, I mean, we know what we know about Noah is that he's going to have his head on straight and, you know, he's going to be focused and, you know, he's been through all kinds of different situations in his career. This being his third school. 
Um, so he's not probably going to be surprised or caught off guard by much of anything that's happened. He's not been anything through, been through anything like this. Uh, what's going on at Rutgers right now? And, and you know, hopefully Noah is 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 one of the healthy guys on the roster there um, because that could throw throw it into uh, into a you know a, a mess a messy situation too um, if, there, if there are quarterbacks who are dealing with uh, with COVID right now. Um, but um, yeah, I think it's maybe more likely than not if that game's played that. He's the QB. So that would just be um, a a great level of entry to that game. And, you know, I'll say I don't think it's a competitive game. If the game's played, um, I think Nebraska wins that game. It's it's probably the, 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 the one blowout you can you can count on happening um, this season. Uh, in Nebraska's favor. Sure. The most comfortable that they'll probably be in a game. And Mm -hmm. and it's one of those things where like, I would be shocked if, if Vedril isn't the guy, he's obviously got to win the job. Like Shiana is going to say the same thing that every coach says, like nobody comes here and has a job handed to them. He has to win it. But just for him with the way that his career has kind of shaped out for him to go to a place, I kind of felt that, and I'm sure you felt too, that he would have to go to that place feeling like, this is pretty much his job as long as he doesn't come in and, and mess it up, so to speak. Yeah, and Greg Schiano is not going to seek out a grad transfer who he expects to put on the bench. Yeah. So, um, You, you kind of mentioned that four-game stretch. Three of them, Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota, back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. Those are the top three teams in Nebraska's division. Everybody remembers Scott Frost talking in, in 2018 about looking across the sideline and seeing Iowa and seeing a bigger football team he said after the Minnesota game last year, Nebraska got pushed around by Minnesota in terms of physicality. It hasn't been much of a contest with Wisconsin since really the the Big Ten championship game that they played each other in. Um, how much stock do you put into like what we've heard from the coaches when they go on sports nightly and talk about the, the strength gains that the team has made on the mm-hmm. defensive line, the offensive line, linebackers, things like that. How much stock do you put into some of the, the, the little insights we're getting into the weight room and seeing some of the weight that, that Nebraska's players are moving. How much do you think Nebraska is physically ready for this kind of challenge? Because we're going to find out sooner rather than later, more so than we, we ever really have with one of these seasons, whether Nebraska is ready for the Big Ten. they got to be able to stop the run, which they haven't been able to do, and protect their quarterback. And, and that that is physicality. That is winning at the line of scrimmage in the Big Ten, and they're going to have to prove it early what do you think about that three game stretch? And do you think Nebraska's yeah. physically ready for it? In some cases, I put a lot of stock into what the coaches have said about the linemen and their improved physicality. And what we've seen with the videos that Zach Duvall has put out on social media. And in other cases, I don't put a lot of stock in it. Like I'll give you two examples. Cam Jurgens first, first. Absolutely. Um, you see him and you see the changes in his body and the progress that he made as a redshirt freshman at a new position last year. And I think Nebraska has a major upgrade in him in comparison to what it's put out at the center position against those three teams the last two years. Um, even over what Jurgens was at the end of last season when Nebraska played Wisconsin and Iowa. Um, and then let's just go to the other side of the ball. And, you know, you hear and see footage of Nash Hutmacher in the weight room or a guy like Chris Walker, who's just huge. Um, and those things, those two guys are not going to impact Nebraska this year up front and being able to control Iowa and Wisconsin's running team. So I think you have to be careful with how you consume some of that content that's out there because not all of those guys, those big guys who are moving around weight, 
are going to impact games this year. Nash is going to impact games in his career. I'm convinced of that. But it's not going to be as a true freshman. Certainly not against Iowa and Wisconsin as a true freshman. Um, you know, and Chris Walker, a guy like he's just a huge guy, um, but hasn't proven to be somebody who's going to get on the field and make a difference. Maybe that'll change in his career. Maybe it won't. I'm not um, necessarily counting on him getting um, a bunch of important snaps. So it's a mixed bag. I think Nebraska's much farther along as a program in its development physically than it was two years ago when Scott Frost was preparing to start his first season. Um, they that they have a plan and what they want to do in the weight room. Um, that's I think considerably different than what it was in the old with the old coaching staff and the old strength staff. And you know they're coming along, but they're not there yet. They're not to the place where Scott Frost wanted them to be when he looked across the field in 2018 and saw an Iowa team uh, that was bigger and stronger and touting, you know, first-round draft picks on the offensive line and and high draft picks on the defensive line, too. That's Those guys aren't part of the Nebraska program yet. No offense to Brendan Hymas and Matt Farniak and eventually Cam Jurgens. You know, they're good players. I think they have a chance, all of them, to play at the next level. Um, but you're not talking about like AJ Epinesa. Um, that's a, he's a different, a different kind of player. And you saw it last year when he was running around Memorial Stadium um, and other players who came into Memorial Stadium uh, in the Big Ten. Nebraska has to get those guys, has to develop those guys, and they're still working to the, to that point. But um, I, you know, I also look to the way that Nebraska played against Iowa and Wisconsin in those late season games last year. And despite losing, and despite the 5-7 and seven record, and the fact that Scott Frost is 0-4 against those two teams, they've competed all right. In mm-hmm. three of those four games, Nebraska's really competed mm-hmm. against Iowa and Wisconsin. I mean, losing a couple field goals to, to Iowa, last year Nebraska outgained Wisconsin. You take Jonathan Taylor out of that game, and maybe Nebraska was the better team. So um, I, uh, you know, he's not going to be there this year in, in Lincoln. Uh, so I think there's hope. I think there's hope that even while Nebraska is striving still to close the gap with those two programs, in, include Minnesota too, um, that there, there's hope that you can put them on the field on a, on a game this year and expect that Nebraska is going to stack up okay. Yeah, certainly what, what Nebraska's offensive line was able to do in that Wisconsin game against a Wisconsin run defense that was no slouch, um, mm-hmm. that, that, that provides you reason for optimism. I, right. I agree. Right. You remember those stats with Wisconsin at the beginning of the year um, and the way they were stopping the run at like a historical level mm-hmm. um, and then come go fast forward to November and Lincoln and the game that Dietrich Mills had. Um, yeah. That's, that's did the Wisconsin defense wear down a little bit. Sure. But that's a, that's a huge credit also to the progress that Mills and, and Nebraska, Nebraska's offensive line made through the season. Mills is a key a key figure for them it, it, and maybe even more so because of the way that their off season has shaken out. I'm curious to get your thoughts on this with their, with the biggest group of wide receivers that they have arriving in the summer, the bulk of their wide receiver room arriving in the summer, them not getting mm-hmm. that spring period to work on chemistry, work on timing, work on kind of fine tuning the offense. 
if Mills is that guy, like the guy that you saw in the Wisconsin game, the guy later in the season, does it does that help Nebraska kind of mitigate some of the damage that was done by the missed spring practices or potentially any kind of missed time in fall camp from from a wide receiver here or there? Is he the kind of guy that can just kind of like help help them not have to be firing on all cylinders right away against Rutgers? Yeah, I think so. I think he's a dependable back now. I think he's confident. I think he's always been a team guy. Sometimes if, when you have a player who has been through multiple transfers in their career, um, they're, they're, they can be a guy who, who are, who's hard to count on, especially when your team is going through tough times. And I saw the exact opposite from Diedrich Mills a year ago. I, I saw Diedrich Mills last year as a guy early in the season and in the middle of the season who had every opportunity to check out, who could have gotten frustrated because he was getting pulled out of games in crucial situations and, you know, was watching things unravel around him and could have easily gotten pulled into that and could have fallen back into some bad habits and, you know, not been a great team player. And it was the exact opposite. It was like as things got worse for Nebraska on and off the field last season, Diedrich Mills what be, became a stronger, more important, m- more, um, you know, showing more leadership kind of guy, um, at least from, from my view of it. And I think that that will carry over into his senior season. I, I, yeah, I think he's a workhorse. Um, not to say that you want to give him 25 carries a game. Um, you know, I think the two true freshmen this year, or at least one of them, is, is going to step up and be a, a, a you know a force that that helps Nebraska in the run game you know not to discount Ramir Johnson but I think both of those freshmen the true freshmen with the, the bodies that they're bringing to the run game somebody's going to emerge and probably sooner rather than later become Nebraska's I, I think I'm and, and I don't know, I'm interested if you whether you agree with me become Nebraska's number two guy behind Mills um, I, I don't again I'm not I'm not throwing dirt on Ramir Johnson but I just don't think he is. He is big enough to to handle what Savion Morrison or Marvin Scott might be able to take on right away. But um, yeah, to answer your question, for sure, they're they're going to need some time to break in Omar Manning and Xavier Betts, and Wandale Robinson is going to have to be a big part of carrying the load. But again, he's not that outside receiver who is taking the top off of the defense, and that has to be a part of Nebraska's attack at some point this season. Um, it may not be in week one or week two, so it's another huge plus in having Rutgers and Illinois at the start of the schedule because by the time you get to that third game, by the time you get to uh, Wisconsin, um, you would hope that with this time Nebraska's had in July to work on July and early August to go to have these walkthrough practices and then, you know, hopefully four weeks of healthiness in fall camp and you don't have to shut things down that those receivers have come along with. That's that's the area, maybe receivers and then, you know, some of that front seven on defense. That's the area where Nebraska has to have gelled the most when the season starts over these, you know, six or eight weeks leading up to September 5th. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. And, and I definitely agree with um, with where you're at with, with the running back room. I think one of those dudes, Savion being probably a, a pretty complete back and then Marvin Scott just looking like a, bowling ball like <laughs> one of the, right. one of those dudes is going to be able to to handle big 10 play at at the very least as a number two back which is all they're going to be asked to do 
Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, I agree with you. Let's switch gears for a second. Look at the broader Big Ten. Wisconsin avoids Ohio State and uh, Penn State. They get Maryland and Rutgers in two of their crossover games. Uh, Ohio yeah. State avoids obviously Wisconsin and Minnesota. What do you think of of, of their schedules? Well, I mean, it was ninety percent set. So you heard you heard some uh, crying about favoring the uh, the favorites. Not, I mean, most of the schedule was already there. Now Wisconsin got Rutgers at it, so there's a reason. I think there's a reason to uh, to raise your eyebrows at that. Um, I, I'm not going to question. I, I don't. I you know I don't know. And and you, uh, people should read Scott Dockerman's story on the Athletic. Um, it came out 24 hours after the the schedule announcement of Wednesday Wednesday morning. Scott talked to Karen Kenny, um, associate uh, director in in the Big Ten, and and somebody who's heavily involved in scheduling, and got some insight into how the decisions were made to make some of those change of venue games, how it's going to impact future schedules. You know, Nebraska's not going to have Wisconsin coming to Lincoln three years in a row. So the, the 2021 schedule is going to have to change and send Nebraska to, uh, to Madison and, um, and, and have some other changes that, that happen as a result. But there was, there was more than just, hey, who should we give Wisconsin from the east here? The options are A, B, C, and D. Oh, Let's go with Rutgers. There were there were there were a lot of logistics that went into it, and and how um, you know, the, the conference needed to to build flexibility into the schedule, and also look at the future schedules to make some of those determinations. So I think it just kind of worked out that way, and not everything's going to work out looking real fair when you're doing it, you know, with with a mathematical model or, you know, when you have so many different considerations to take into account as you put that schedule together. And it just so happened in this instance that, you know, Wisconsin comes out with a, with a nice, um, a nice soft landing in that, in that 10th, uh, 10th game, that extra crossover game. So, um, you know, good for, good for Barry Alvarez and, <laughs> and, and Paul Chris, um, you know, I hope they send a nice, uh, a nice thank you letter to the big 10 office. I think it was Nicole's story actually that was the first to refer to the plan as the Jenga 41 because they yeah. had 41 yeah. collapsible games. And, and I mean, it, it just sounds like you're not a conspiracy theorist. That's all I'm gathering for the, for the conspiracy theorists out there. They'll look at it and be like, Whoa, what's going on with this? But like the big 10, it just seems was, was more interested in preserving flexibility and, and, and keeping mm-hmm. all of its options open so that if a game gets canceled, cough, cough, Rutgers, Nebraska in week one, that they can, have some opportunity throughout the season to, to fill it back in. Um, yeah, I know. I'm just not any fun. I, 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 I want <laughs> to buy into the conspiracies, but I just, you know, I, it, when you start to kind of educate yourself on the process, it, it's harder to do. They make a good argument for why you don't want to buy into a conspiracy. If you actually read about the process and how they went through yeah. um, making, making these, uh, making these schedules. Yeah. It certainly was not a, uh, certainly was not something that they just decided overnight. Bill Moose on Sports Nightly, um, and I'm sure he probably said or intimated something similar to you, that, that this was a culmination of 100-plus meetings between the athletic directors. So it's something that they've that, been working on for a long time. Um, that I would expect from the Big 12. And I think the, the Big 12 is sitting back and looking at these other conferences. The ACC schedule is now out after the Big 10. And I think the Big 12 is sitting there and thinking, oh, no, what's – what's all this work that these conferences were going to to try to make these schedules? We were just going to put it together and give Texas the easy road or give Oklahoma the easy road. I mean, these, 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 
these other leagues were like looking at formulas and 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 um, you know matching up buys. That, and and I think the Big Ten is, is sorry, the Big Twelve is, uh, is sweating a little bit. That's that's I would I would I would expect more of a conspiracy model from um, from the Big Twelve than I would from the Big Ten. That's fair. Um, the other news of of Wednesday, kind of around twelve forty. Um, one o'clock in that like 20 minute range, right around the end of lunchtime, a lot of Nebraska players started sharing, um, the same sentiment basically with the hashtag, we want to play football saying Nebraska is taking care of us. Nebraska has, has, uh, you know, had our health, pri- had our health prioritized. We want to play football. We feel safe here. We want to mm-hmm. be able to have this season. And that came on the heels of the big 10 United uh, piece that was published mm-hmm. in, in the Players Tribune with over a thousand players that said um, on board asking for more from the Big Ten in terms of, of health and safety assurances um, regarding playing during a pandemic. And and then to have Nebraska say, we feel safe. What what was your take on that? Well, it's another opportunity for a conspiracy theory here. Um, and I'm probably going to pass on this one as well. Um, I do not, and you didn't ask me this question, but I do not think that the message that Nebraska players put out on social media was forced upon them or was given to them by the football program or the athletic department, you know, as a direct result of the, the, um, the big, the big 10 movement. I think that we are at a place in society where it is impossible to do that. It is if if Scott Frost or, you know, someone on his behalf had gone to the players and said, here's what we want you to do. We want you to put on a good face. We want you to say these things. We want you to support the program. We want you to make us look like we're doing the right thing. That there is no chance that all of that would have played out without somebody calling them on it. Players are empowered today. And we have seen it time and time again in the last four or five months that you're not going to be able to, these, these guys aren't puppets right now. Um, in the past, you might've been able to pull something like that off. I mean, that kind of thing was perhaps happening at Iowa for decades and no more. It's not, not in the last month or two. So Nebraska wouldn't be silly enough to think that it could, um, stage a, uh, a message like that and no way would the players go along with it. So I think it was spurred by conversations among the guys. I don't think those were, you know, original thoughts from each one of those players. Um, but, but I, I think it was driven by players speaking up and saying, look, we need to, pre- pre- we need to present our own unified front. Not necessarily that the Nebraska players are against the Big Ten message, because the Big Ten message was, it wasn't anything like the Pac-12 message. There was nothing in the, the Players' Tribune article from the Big Ten that was anything like what we saw last week from the Pac-12 demanding huge salary cuts from administrators and the conference commissioner and revenue sharing. In fact, it seems that Kevin Warren and his conversations with players, student athletes, you know, not just football players, but student athletes in all sports around the league this week really played a role in making it appear that the Big Ten and 
the players who spoke out and are speaking out are more on the same page or as, as much on the same page as you could possibly hope for as a league. So I don't, yeah. I don't think that, you know, Nebraska is necessarily saying, Hey, we're against the big 10 message. I, I think Nebraska just wanted to, the Nebraska players, the Nebraska program, yes, wanted to present a unified image and the guys got together and decided this is some of the language that we want to use. Um, and, you know, if you're comfortable with it and you agree with this, then go ahead and and, and put together a, a social media post. You know, it wasn't everybody in the program. There weren't 150 of these things that came out, but it was most of the leaders. You know, most of the guys that you expect are going to be in consideration to be captains on this team. And even some of the younger leaders in the program, like Luke McCaffrey, who um, who spoke out. And, and, you know, it's good. It's good. It's If, if that's how they feel then I think it's important for them to, to verbalize that. Yeah, it was one of those things that the message jived with what <clears throat> Scott Frost has been saying all summer and what Bill Moose has been saying all summer was that they, mm-hmm. they have a team of guys that wants to play and and mm-hmm. understands the the health risks associated with playing, but they want to play. Um, do you think that that, that was as, as good an endorsement as we'll probably get of just where exactly the culture of the team is at that kind of pie in the sky thing that frost has been talking about since he got here of wanting that positive culture and wanting kind of horizontal leadership. Do you think what we saw Wednesday afternoon from the players is as good an example of that as we could get? Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's other ways to to get that same message. I think it's important for players to to say it and not just, um, you know, cut and paste it or put it into a, put it into a, um, a, a Twitter message. I think it's important to hear about it from players um, in conversations. And I think it's important to hear about it too, when the season starts um, and in times when there's adversity that they're facing that, uh, you know, is kind of when true character is revealed and when the, the real culture of your, of your program comes out, it's easy to, to say the right things and act the right way when you haven't played any games yet or when you're two and oh, but um, you know, every program, even programs that win national championships face adversity during a season. And, you know the, the the true the true moments um, when when their 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 real colors are revealed are are when they they face some of those problems. So we'll see where Nebraska's at when it it undergoes some struggles this year. If you know, assuming a season is, is able to be played, and if it isn't, well, then you know you got struggles right there to react to. But uh, you know, we hope that that that's not the uh, those aren't the kind of problems that we're we're documenting. I mean, the, the, of course, sitting here today, um, you know, I, I want to be reacting and listening to Nebraska players um, engaging their feelings about the culture of the program uh, when they go through struggles because they lost a game on the field, not because they lost a game or a season to uh, a pandemic. Yeah. Perfectly fair. Well, Mitch, I'm sure you've got work to do, so I'll let you get back to your day. Thank you so much for giving us some time and, and jumping on the podcast with us this week. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. I would recommend that every single person, if you don't already have one, get a subscription to The Athletic. The Athletic is everywhere, so it's kind of hard to believe that a lot of people still don't have a subscription to The Athletic, but get it. Mitch's work um, this offseason and this summer has been has been wonderful. Um, the, the reads daily at The Athletic have been wonderful. That's where I read about um, Premier League soccer as well, so it's not just college football. Um, get a subscription to The Athletic. And uh, we'll be back next week with another podcast. In the meantime, um, listen to Hail Varsity radio show. Listen to Jay Moore's More To It podcast. Read HailVarsity.com too. Um, and we will be back next week with another podcast. Thanks, guys.